It's great to be here. So many familiar faces. Aaron and I were talking about when we first got the church started, it was three of us, Dan, Gerald, Aaron Talent, and me. And we'd meet at like Shoney's or something, have our elder meeting. <laughs> you know, we could make decisions quickly, you know, <laughs> just three of us. And, uh, but I'm, you're going to see here that I can start something. I can be in on the front end of something like a church or a ministry, but we better be passing the baton off to a younger guy pretty quick, Shane, or, you know, we may, the ship may be going down. Uh, and so I, I, I was able to help early on here and, uh, and serve, but then we've had some amazing leaders. You all have some, had amazing leaders over the years. And of course, Ken Wilson is one of my heroes. Um, that has served here. So anyway, that's my family. I wanted to introduce them, but I wanted to give you a little history because we moved here. Uh, we moved here in um, in '89, and so this is a little bit of our history. Y'all been supporting us now for decades, so I, I want you to know kind of what we've been doing a little bit before I get into some of our our our, our the, the, some of the the teaching here. Uh, you recognize Dave and Michelle Rothkar, right? Everybody recognize Big Dave. He's now my boss. <laughs> uh, I, I was his boss, and now he's my boss. You know, the tables have turned. And man, is he doing a great job leading our organization. But he and his wife, when we started this ministry years ago called Student Mobilization, or STUMO, and it was at Fayetteville for years. But we had, to, we were, we were, had so many young leaders and laborers raised up, we said, we've got to start placing them on other campuses. Well, the very first couple that volunteered, we'll go, wherever you send us, we'll go, is Dave and Michelle Rothkar. That's been the story of their life, Aaron, hasn't it been? They're willing to go wherever God sends them, and lo and behold, we chose UCA. So I think it was either 86 or 87, I can't remember when we started this, this ministry with student mobilization. It's still going strong, and it's now all over the U.S. and all over the world, and a guy named Dave Rayner right here in Conway is leading it, doing an awesome job, and so the traveling team in Stumo is what we were involved in starting years. But then in the year 2000, uh, I rotated off and we started a ministry that now Dave is leading called the CMM, Center for Mission Mobilization. If you want to look up any of these organizations on the website, you can kind of see what we're doing. Maybe Dave alluded to this. We're changing the name of the ministry to VIA. We've got 140 staff in 24 countries, and some of these countries and the ones we want to get into, the word missions and the word mobilization just doesn't get you in that country very good, you know. But VIA, uh, it, it's a cool word. That, that, that It's a process. It's, it's, it's the way we're going. It's a journey. It's, it's the, the passageway through. It's a word that's used in a lot of different languages. So we've kind of gone one ditch, a big, long, boring name, to one short word that people go, what, what is that about? Well, VIA. Here we go. And so Dave is our leader. Uh, I have a role as global ambassador. Shane mentioned that. I get to direct a little piece of the, the pie there. And I, I, again, I like to start something, but we better turn it over to a, a young leader pretty quickly. But what I'm getting to direct right now is something called Campus Ministry Today, campusministry.org. And so we're trying to serve and inspire and equip church-based and campus-based collegiate ministries all over the world. And so go to that website sometime and, and see kind of what we're doing and how we're trying to take this very strategic slice of humanity called college students. About one and a half percent of the world's population, Arnold, is, are college students. And we still think they're the one of the most strategic slices of humanity. Dirk, you believe that, you know, as to how, 
how strategic they really are. You win the campus today, you're going to really impact the world tomorrow. And so campusministry.org. Here's some current projects I'm working on. I said, gosh, I feel the need to kind of uh, show my supporting church here that I'm actually, you know, involved in ministry and trying to accomplish something, you know. You're not just paying for my, my rent and utilities or something, right, brother? Um, but I just got back from Egypt and, and Indonesia. Some of, excuse me, Egypt and Ethiopia. Some of you have been following us on social media, and maybe, maybe Dave has informed you all about that. But we're doing some amazing things in those two countries. I wish I had a few, brought a few pictures of that. That would have been fun to show. But headed to Peru next next month. Carol and I both are to do some training. Going to be three weeks in Indonesia. We're helping them. Uh, it, it, there are more Muslims in Indonesia than any country in the world, but they're becoming one of the greatest sending nations. Isn't that wild that a Muslim nation would end up being one of the greatest missionary sending nations in the world? And so we're getting to help them do that. We're getting to help them raise up missionaries, to train missionaries, help them get funded, and then send them out to unreached people groups around Indonesia and beyond that, that country. So it's wild what's happening in some of these, these countries. Um, we're having a support raising leaders conference in April. We're, we're, we're actually hosting a huge conference in Fort Worth in May where we're gathering collegiate ministry staff from all over the country. It's a very historic conference. It's really never been done before. And, and, and in light of the culture wars that we've been in the last few years, I'll just leave it at that, culture wars that we've been in. We've been beating each other up like crazy over all kinds of stuff. The combination of COVID and the culture wars the question I ask churches as well as ministries, especially campus ministries, is whatever happened to the Great Commission? Where, where did that go? I mean, we're, we're, we're all hepped up about this cause and this issue and this justice or injustice and we're beating each other up over all kinds of things. Whatever happened to winning the world to Christ? Where, where did that go? Oh, that's, that's so 1980s, Shadrach. We're, we got bigger causes now. Really? Is that right? So how do we help the collegiate body of Christ? How do we help the body of Christ, hello, get back on the Great Commission Road and realize all these other issues and causes that we've been focused on and fighting over, they're secondary, friends. They're really an attempt by the enemy to get us off track. Maybe you've taken an exit ramp. Maybe you've been tempted to take an exit ramp these last two or three years. I have. What if we got back on the road? Anyway, this particular conference is, is an effort. I'm kind of old enough and neutral enough that I, maybe I got a little bit of trust with a lot of these different campus ministries that they're, they're willing to come together. We already got 700 registered. It's kind of an amazing deal. We're, going for, we're shooting for 1,000. Hello. We'll see. But college ministry, I know you believe. We're, the, we're in the city of colleges here, aren't we? Conway. It's one of the reasons we moved here. And so I, I want fellowship to continue to have a heart and a burden to reach those campuses. Four of the greatest years that Carol and I ever spent here in Conway, Arkansas, was when we were focused on Hendricks College. Man, that was awesome. It was awesome. God did some amazing things at that little college. I won't go into details. <laughs> but you got a lot of potential right here in this city. I know you believe that too. And so other things that we're working on. So that, that's kind of what we're focused on. But the organization that Dave leads and, and I continue to serve with, it, 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 CMM, here's, here's what we do. We, we serve and resource churches and ministries worldwide to raise up and send their own missionaries to the unreached. You see, 
We're on a decline here in the U.S. So the number of missionaries we're sending out <laughs> is on the... Uh, we love short-term missions. Oh, we love short-term missions. But long-term workers, friends, we're, we're, we're not going to reach the world through American missionaries. So well, we're looking at the Great Commission a little differently. I bet you Dave explained some of this to y'all. We're, we're, we're going after country after country after country in, in, in Latin America, in Africa, and Asia, and we're finding the big giant batches of Christians in those countries, and we're helping mobilize them because they're so much closer to these unreached groups than we are. And they're willing, those missionaries, when they're raised up from that, those countries, friends, they're willing to go and stay and serve and persevere and suffer. They only buy one-way tickets. We, we like to buy round trip when we go overseas, don't we? That's right. And so anyway, that's really what the focus of our organization is, is to help other countries raise up and send their own missionaries to the unreached. Kind of a different take on the Great Commission, right? So, and we want to, to send spiritually healthy, vision-driven, fully funded Great Commission workers. In fact, we want to flood the nations. Isn't that a cool phrase? The nations are being flooded with all kinds of stuff. Think about it. But the greatest need, Jesus said in Matthew 9, is laborers. That's what the flood really needs to be. Will you say that out loud to me? Just, just say, flood the nations. Flood the nations. Well, what, what are we flooding the nations with? Think about all the junk that the nations are being flooded with. What if we were to flood them with great commission workers that took the gospel? What if that was our passion? What if that was our focus? What if that became one of your goals to somehow, through your prayer life, through your giving, through your involvement, through your serving, somehow, some way, even from Conway, Arkansas, you could impact the world? I'll be 68 years old next, next month. I know I don't look a day over 67, Shane. But I'm starting to think about the rest of my life. I know you are too. Some of you are you're at a point where you're not looking forward in life as much as you are kind of looking backwards. Dirk, you're, lo you're still looking forward. Shane, you're at the perfect nanosecond, you know, where you're, you're in the perfect spot where you're not looking forward or backwards. But me and Tommy Walker and some of the other old guys here, we're kind of looking back on life. What has my life really been about? What if you were to use the final 10, 20, 30 years of your life, whatever God has for you, to say, you know, I want my life to count. I'm not asking you to pack up and go be a missionary right now. No, no, no. That, 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 your, 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 your location and vocation, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what's in our heart. And what is it we'd like to accomplish with the final 10, 20, 30 years of our life? My dad retired at age 58, and he passed away at 90, but he didn't do much with the last, help me with my math here, 32 years of his life. He could have. I loved him. I honor him today. I really do. But those years could be very productive if we choose to have them. Well, let me keep going here. I've got a limited amount of time. This is campus ministry today, some of the things that we're doing. Um, this is um, the population of the world. This morning, I got it about 8.35 p.m. I checked it, you know. The population is just like our national debt, you know. <laughs> You know, it's just, have you seen that in New York City where the national, we don't want to get off on that topic right now, right? It's a whole nother subject. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But our national debt, you know, 
Well, for some reason, the population of the world is doing that. Can you do that, Dirk? Can you make that sound? You know, you know, it's just like just like crazy. For some reason, the last thirty years, the last fifty years, the population has just shot up. Why? Why? What has God up to? What What is going on? That at this stage in the history of our little planet here, that the population would just be on a straight line up. Well, that's good and bad. We can, we can bemoan about all the people, but we also can say, look that God is giving millions and millions of people the chance, the opportunity to be exposed to the gospel. Let's take advantage of it. Let, let's, let's live for that. Let, let's make our final years, whatever stage of life we're in, let's make our life count for that. And so, you know, I think about how, how God views the world. Don't you think about that sometimes? And we've divided ourselves up. I've never seen us more divided and more fractured. I mean, it ha- you know, with gender and race and, and, you know, all kinds of different things that we're dividing ourselves up. I, I think that grieves the heart of God. You know, how does he view the world? I, I, this may too be too simplistic, but I think basically he views the world as two groups. One group are his family. Those are, those are his family. And the other group, they're not yet. They're not his family or not yet his family. Everything else is kind of superficial uh, labels that we've put on humanity, right? And he's trying to mobilize one group to take an interest and engage the other group. That's the total picture right there. We just, we just, we just, we just got inside the mind and heart of God right there. He's got a family here, and you're part of that family. But he's trying to motivate us. <laughs> he's trying to mobilize us to take an interest in that other half of the world that is not yet part of his family. That's it. That's who you are. That's who I am. Well, let's look at the big picture for a second. Can we do this? Uh, there's at least two and a half billion that are still cut off from the gospel with all of our technology, all of our entrepreneurship, our American, you know, get up and go. You'd think after 2,000 years that the Great Commission would be, tons of progress has been made, don't get me wrong. But with two and a half people still cut off, two and a half billion still cut off from the gospel, you know, what's, what's wrong with this picture, Right? We, we, we have to look at the Great Commission maybe a little differently than we looked at it, okay? But this is a statistic that I can barely sleep at night, knowing this one, friends. 86% of all the Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus in the world today will live and die and never even meet a Christ follower. I, I don't know. I, I can't do life as normal. I can't go on with my golf game and my video games and my romance novels. and I just can't continue on. With, with all my evening Netflix and my, you know, I, I just I live my life for me somehow, knowing that majority of these people will live and die. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody. I'm trying to just lay a guilt trip on my own life, my own insensitivity, my own uncaring, my own even lack of knowledge about the rest of the world. And so, God, what do you want us to do about that? What can we do about that? We need 100,000 new long-term workers. That's what missiologists tell us. Where are they going to come from? A few may come from the United States, but the majority are going to come from other countries around the world. That's what we're focused on. Not that we've given up on America at all, but 77,000 people a day come to Christ. Praise the Lord. That's a lot of folks, isn't it? 77,000, but here's the thing. 70,000 of those are in the global south, okay? That's Latin America, that's Africa, that, that's a big chunk of Asia. Only 7,000 are in the global north, that's us. 
We got all the money, we got all the churches, we got all the preachers, we got all the seminaries, and we got everything, but just a little trickle of response. I say, Lord, why, what is going on? Why, why is this, this flood of conversion happening in Latin America, Africa, and Asia, and only a trickle here? I've got some questions. When I get there, I'll try to get some answers and maybe text back to you or something if you'll give me your number. Um, I don't know, but we better... We better tap into what God is doing. And so, you all know about the 1040 window. Some of your speakers have talked about that. 10 degrees by 40 degrees, some of the un- most unreached, most impoverished, most unevangelized, most illiterate. You know, it's hard. It's hard to go. It's hard for Americans to go there. Um, it's just, I'll be there, I'll be there uh, this spring. It's just a, a challenge to go there. But, but look at this map for a second. Man, I bet you many of you have never seen this map before. This is a world evangelization map as well. But it's for the Muslims. It's for those who follow Islam. And there are about 2,500 mosques or, or, or Islamic centers here in the United States. Many times they put them right next to college campuses. They're trying to recruit our college students, friends. I promise you. But this is a world map that will be in that mosque. And I've seen them. I've seen them bow down. And they're praying. They're praying over the world. They're praying for world evangelization in front of this map. Now look at that map carefully. You see the different colors? Which colors are the true believers according to those Muslims? What color? Green. Which ones are the heathen, the infidels? Red. That's right, friends. Now you may not like their means. You may not like the means of conversion that they're using. But they're serious about evangelizing the world by any means. I just wish, oh God, that we could be as serious, (laughs) that we could be as committed to reaching that world for Christ as they are committed to reaching it for Islam. It's a sobering map, isn't it? What is God up to? How does He want us to be involved? So this idea of being a world Christian, let me just read this. This is from a book that we did back in the mid-1980s called In the Gap by David Bryant. Formed some of the foundational principles, really, of student mobilization, really, as we were getting started, Shane. But a world Christian isn't better than other Christians, no. But by God's grace, this person has made a discovery so important that life can never be the same again. He has discovered the truth about the gap. The gap we're talking about this morning. The fact that we are already in it and the call of Christ to believe and think and plan and act accordingly. By faith, he has chosen to stand in that gap as a result. Somehow, some way, with whatever he's got in his life, whatever she's got. Some world Christians are missionaries, yes, who stand in that gap by physically crossing major human barriers like cultural, political barriers in order to bring the gospel to those who can hear it no other way. But Every Christian, all of us are meant to be a world Christian, not a worldly Christian. (laughs) We've got plenty of those, don't we? But a world Christian. Whether you physically go or stay at home to provide the sacrificial love and prayers and training and money and quality of corporate life that backs the witness of those who do go. So world Christians are day-to-day disciples. This is kind of definition. For whom Christ's global cause has become the integrating overriding priority for all that life is for them like disciples should they actively investigate all their master's great all that their master's great commission means and then they act upon 
what they learn. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of insightful and convicting to me. So different roles. You know, there, there's different roles that we can play. This is some, some of you, you support some goers. We support a lot of goers. Carol and I, we, uh, we support a number of goers around the world. Uh, we love it. It's fantastic. I call them frontline warriors. And so there's a need. <laughs> Friends, like I said, there's a need. Uh, there, there's, out of the 800 million Bible-believing Christians in the world, between 22 and 55, about 300 million of them are in that category. And so what if 100,000 of them? That's what we supposedly need. So that's really only one out of 3,000 believers. You'd think that, that we, could, we could raise those folks up quickly, right? No, they, they're, they're kind of strange. It's kind of strange that it'd be so hard to raise those folks up. But it is. But to help want it, there's lots of opportunities out there. The, the role that we've been able to play as a mobilizer, that's one of the roles of a world Christian, uh, is, is, is to be encouraging and spur, spurring others on to, to, to try to be motivating them and educating them and encourage them to, in their prayer life and in their giving and their going and to say, how do we take part in this world Christian movement? It's kind of like waking a hundred sleeping firemen. You know, if a fire broke out here, we'd have some options. Uh, we could form a, a line, Shane, to the water fountain out here. You, you could get the little cup, and we could fill up the cup and then pass the cup along the line right here. You'd be the final one, and you'd throw it onto the fire. And then you pass it out. The cup would go on. It'd take a while to put that fire out, wouldn't it? And then one of you has this brilliant idea. What if we called 911 and got the fire department to come? That's a great idea. Let's do it. And so Graham calls the fire department, and all of a sudden, these guys come pulling. Now, it takes a few minutes for them to get here, right? But they pull out these giant hoses, and they put that fire out. That's what mobilization is all about, is waking people up. That there's a fire going on, and you can help. You can help put it out. And so this idea of mobilization to engage, equip, and connect people to the Great Commission is really what Dave Rothkar is leading our organization. I'm so glad you're behind the rough cars please stick with the rough cars they're really impacting the world in so many ways and so this need for mobilization the final frontier is really tr turning traditional mission fields into radical new mission forces so you better be careful country by country whether you're sending missionaries to that country or mobilizers to that country Believe it or not, you can actually hurt more than help. Let's say Brazil. There's 50 million evangelicals in Brazil, okay? If we keep sending missionaries and money to Brazil, guess what? That keeps reinforcing in their minds that they're what? A mission field, which it's way past due for them to be transformed into a radical new mission force. So let's be really careful which countries we send missionaries to and which countries we need to send mobilizers to to help them take full responsibility for the Great Commission. So that's really what we're doing. Educating and empowering the unsent, those believers that are unmobilized yet, to engage and send workers to the unreached. And so this is really kind of what we've done. This is just one strategy. This is just one. If you want to know more, chat with me. If you want to get involved personally in some way, I'd, I'd love to chat with you. But we've identified the three major unsent regions of the world. Those circles, Latin America, okay, big chunk of Asia, and then sub-Saharan Africa. You see these three in the blue? 
But then we've matched them up with a major unreached region. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to mobilize believers in the unsent regions of the world to take an interest in one of these major unreached regions and to match them up and build pipelines of missionaries right into those areas. You see how it works? (laughs) Oh God, oh God, please. And so we've got all kinds of trainings and tools. One of the things that I thought, Shane, and I bet you Dave Rothkar has mentioned this as well, and I've got some copies here. I've got if a, key, a few key leaders wanted one, but we created something. So we, we create a lot of different tools. Some of them sit on the shelf and gather dust, but some have a divine wind behind them. I don't know why this little thing has. Seven lessons. It's kind of a discussion format, and, and it just kind of goes through God's Word, God's world, and God's work, how, how you can play a part. But it was downloaded in 150 countries last, last year. It's in 21 languages now. I mean, you, you kind of go, what, what's so special and magical about this little book? <laughs> well, just, just get a copy, order a copy. You can get a free copy online if you want to at our website or buy a copy from us or, the, or you can order some. They're a great small group, kind of community group kind of things. Only seven lessons, but it kind of moves you from zero to one. If this is kind of some new information to you or if you want to keep growing in this area, um, this would be a good little tool to kind of get started. You know, move you from zero to one in this idea of being a, a world Christian. Um, small group or one-on-one or discipling. If you're discipling someone, you said, gosh, I think we need to focus on more than just our own little lives. Let, let, let's do more than just kind of commiserate with each other, you know, our, our navel-gazing, you know, uh, victimhood here or whatever our little struggles are what if we lifted our eyes up and said gosh i i think i i think the way out of my struggles is to is to now focus my eyes on the person and purposes of jesus christ that'll get you out of your depression and struggles and baggage more than anything this may be a tool to help you do that it really will and so acts 1 8 has become a real key verse for me friends you, you all know acts 1 8 it's the last thing Jesus said. He had these final five commissions. He did sit and have one. At the end of Matthew, at the end of Mark, at the end of Luke, at the end of John, those are four different, four different settings. He didn't just repeat it. He was, those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, those are four different times and four different groups during those 40 days that he gave that, that great commission. And then here's the, the great, great commission. The final words. I mean, I, I got to be with my dad in his final months, his final weeks, final days, final moments, right there with him when he passed into eternity. It's one of the greatest honors of my life. Final words are important. These are his final words. Why would these be Jesus' final words? <laughs> I don't know, friends. Another question I've got for him. But his final words really need to be kind of first in our heart. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses. And then he he lists these three geographic areas. You know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. But it's interesting. I'm no no English major. I barely even had a GPA, I think, you know. Um, But he didn't use the words or. I think some of us kind of put or in there. Well, I feel called to Conway. That's my calling, yes. 
Oh, no, 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 I, I have an interest in, in, in Faulkner County or the state of Arkansas. That's really my boat. No, no, I, I, the United States is really my focus. Or they say, no, no, I'm, I'm a foreign missionary advocate, but I haven't even witnessed to my next-door neighbor. Oops. <laughs> and so it's not or. You don't get to choose which of these three, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or most part. It's not then. Some people have a then-then mentality, right? Okay, we're going to win Conway first. Once Conway's done, we're, then we're going to go after the county and then Little Rock, that evil Little Rock, you know. In Arkansas, we've got to really take care of our own here, you know. And then the U.S. Once we get the U.S. saved, uh, I think that may be quite a task, right? Then we'll move over to, you know, Latin America or something. No? Sorry. You that have glasses on this morning, I need them, but I, I'm in denial. Uh, you, you have trifocals. You know, some people have single, double, now tri. You've got to put your trifocals on to truly understand this verse. That somehow, simultaneously, he wants us to be involved in all three. How do we do that? How do we do that? Is there a global thread? There really is, friends. All 66 books of the Bible. One of my granddaughters on the way over here was giving me every book of the Bible in order. You know, I said, man, I don't think I could do that. You know, you know here she is, you know, nine years old. I, she's way ahead of me. But is there a thread? So let me, let, me, let me finish off our time with a, a, a scripture that you may or may not be familiar with, and I'll pray and we'll move on with life, Shane. Get to our chicken dinner. Revelation 5.9. Maybe you're familiar with it. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so this is a, a painting that a friend of mine, a missionary that's now with the Lord, an African missionary that painted this. He, this is his depiction of Revelation 5-9 when Jesus was on the cross, you know, during those, those, those six hours. Look at his face here. What was he thinking about during those six hours that he, he hung on that cross? Most painful, excruciating death known to man. Why six hours for all of our sin and our pain, for all of mankind? He was he was exchanging his life and his blood for us what was he thinking about during those six hours on the cross another question i have i'll ask him what were you thinking about it could be he was thinking about revelation 7 9 just two chapters later and it says and after these things i looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands it could be as he was hanging on the cross there as our sacrifice the sacrificial lamb he could say i'm paying the price for the for for mankind for their sin because someday i'm going to be on a throne as the lamb of god there king reigning and there's going to be a whole family of people that i've paid for their sins and they've responded and they're going to forever be my family there revelation 7 9 there's the gathering that around the throne and so this is where we are friends this is how i'll finish you were born at a great time i want to commend you i want to commend you for being born and living in a very strategic time in our history <laughs> just go ahead and give yourself a pat on the back there if you would you know thank you thank you biblically and historically you're living in the most strategic 
period in all of history. You're in between Revelation 5-9 and Revelation 7-9. Revelation 5-9 has already happened 2,000 years ago. The payment has already been made. The sacrifice is already there. And now he's wanting us to scatter out, to scatter, to be co-gatherers with him, that we can co-labor with God to gather, 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 so that someday around the throne, Revelation 7-9, every single purchased one here at the cross will be present and accounted for there in Revelation 7-9. That'll get you up in the morning, friends. If you're wondering, what, what do I give my life to? Through my prayer time, through my giving, through my involvement, through my serving, through my... This could be something you'd want to think about. What if you were to engage and be a fellow scatterer and a fellow gatherer with God to make sure that Revelation 5-9 was not for naught. It wasn't for just a, 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 a nice thing for Jesus to do, but you're going to, to make sure that you're going to co-labor with Him that every single person... That God's unfailing purpose in this world is to populate his eternal kingdom with those worshipers. You might go back and look at Revelation 5 9 or Revelation 7 9, maybe tomorrow in your quiet time or something, and just say, Here I am, 2023. I'm in between 5 9, I'm in between 7 9. What can I do to co labor with God to make sure that everyone is present and accounted for around that throne? And so the the race continues, and you're in it. If you're in the stands, get out of the stands. <laughs> get out of the stands. Come on down the field. It's okay. It's actually fun. It's a little scary, but fun. And you can play a role. You can play a role. And this little booklet will help you play a role, and there are leaders in this church that will help you play a role. I don't know what your age is. You might be in your 20s or 30s or 40s or up in the 50s or 60s, some of you in the 70s or 80s, you can still play a role, friends, I promise you. You can engage.